Welcome to Ghosts of Northern Michigan's Past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble. Hands down, I have chronicled more stories about the Perry Hotel than any other location in Northern Michigan. Maybe it's just the activity the season sees every year, normal activity, or the fact that the building has been in existence for so many years. And the Perry Hotel should have ghosts, considering the significant historical weight it bears. 123 summers, I believe now, since it first opened its doors. Built in 1899 as the city's first fireproof hotel, the Perry has avoided the fate that has claimed so many of Northern Michigan's hotels. Fire. Some more than once. Some even more than twice. Located high above Little Traverse Bay, the hotel sits just a few yards away from a Native American highway that has existed for millennium and directly across from the GR&I Railroad, the Grand Rapids in Indiana, Petoskey's historic lifeline that once saw over 13,000 trains arrive each season, bringing hundreds of thousands of summer people along for the ride. Perry is most likely Petoskey's oldest continuously operated business and the last of the great hotels from the town's glory days as a premier destination for resorts, wellness, and shopping. The hotel also continues to serve as one of the town's most recognizable landmarks, from land or by sea. So I was checking into the Perry Hotel back in 2001. I was in town doing research on Ernest Hemingway, who had also once stayed a night in the hotel, for which he paid 75 cents, a rate that was not offered to me, by the way, upon my first visit to the historic hotel on that unnaturally hot early summer's day. And as the hotel representative, who later turned out to be a co-manager and second-generation employee of the hotel, was checking me in, I sort of tongue-in-cheek asked that the place was haunted. He glanced up at me with a somewhat guarded yet revealing look, and he kind of sized me up. He asked if I was a reporter, a journalist, or a writer. Basically, was I planning on going public with what turned out to be quite unexpected and surprising amount of information that he had, for whatever reason, decided to share with me that day? And this after what I had intended to be just a casual, off-the-cuff inquiry. No, I answered. I'm just not sure I want to, you know, spend the evening in one of the most active rooms in an old haunted hotel. As he finished up on my room assignment and check-in, he said if I wanted to wait a few minutes and promise to talk off the record, he'd be willing to tell me about some of the most reliable events that he had documented over the years while he was on his upcoming break. Now remember, this is way before all of the TV shows and the now very popular trend of paranormal tourism. So the ghostly stories that the staff catalog each season were sort of kept amongst the staff, so as not to deter potential guests that may not be so inclined to spend the night amidst such alleged activity. As he started talking, I remember feeling like maybe I'd asked the wrong question, and that I may be in for more than I had signed on for. But I was also really, again, sort of surprised and definitely excited that he was about to tell me all of these sort of inside ghost stories at the hotel. As I look back 20 years later, the stories that were told to me during our conversation that late afternoon seem just as genuine, believable, and non-sensationalistic then as they do now. Even more so, in fact, after hearing so many variations and or corroborating experiences that other guests and workers have had over the 20 years that have since passed. And really, what's 20 years when considering, for instance, one of the prevalent sightings of women dressed in Victorian-era clothing passing through the halls on the main floor of the Perry Hotel. If we were to believe in the possibility that these women, or the residual essence of these women, somehow continue to inhabit the Perry, it would be logical to suppose that these women have been fixtures at the hotel for quite a while. 
there are thought to be nine resident ghosts in the Perry, but I can add a few more to the mix from experiences that have either been shared by guests on my tours or on many occasions that have actually occurred during tours. And just when I think I have documented a new entity or phenomena related to the Perry, inevitably, there always seems to be someone that comes forth that has had a similar experience or sighting of their own. The most famous and well-known entity that calls the hotel home has officially been named Doris. Doris's possibly first documented sighting was during a terrible late season storm back in the 1990s, as I was told during my initial conversation with the hotel manager. The storm was severe enough to actually crack the town harbor's break wall, as well as blowing a few windows in the hotel's library on the third floor that faces the harbor. After placing a temporary barrier over the open window frames to keep the driving rain and the winds from entering the library, the room was locked and marked as a potential hazard to unknowing guests that may have ventured in for a better view of the raging storm outside. A few hours later, the night manager on duty looked over at a TV monitor at the front desk that is connected to a surveillance camera in the library. And as he was watching, he saw the lights come on in the room and an elderly woman dressed in antiquated clothing enter, pick out a book from the bookshelf, sit down in the chair that still had broken glass shards on the seat, and proceed to read from her chosen novel. The manager that evening, whom I just recently discovered I have been friends with for years, raced up the stairs, not wasting time for the elevator, only to discover the room dark and locked as it should be. A little perplexed, he returned to his station in the main lobby where he once again could clearly see the woman reading in the well-lit room. Back up the stairs he raced, again only to find the door locked and the room unlit. After at least three trips back and forth, he discovered the room open with the lights on and an open book on the table, right where the woman had been seated while she read. Although again she, herself, was nowhere to be found. He once again went back down to the front desk, where he ultimately wound up watching the woman via the TV monitor for hours until the sun rose the following morning. There have been many other strange occurrences in that library, some of which I myself have been witness to. One that clearly stands out occurred during a freezing cold Friday the 13th winter ghost walk a few years ago. A group of about 20 students from the local college decided to bring along digital voice recorders and a professional photographer and we caught some very strange images of orbs above a girl that was seated in Doris's chair. Now, I myself am very skeptical about orbs as a rule, with a few notable exceptions, including the pictures from that evening. But what makes the night most memorable for me was the next day when I heard the recordings. Each person with a digital recorder that evening had simultaneously caught completely different voices on their machines, although they were all standing within just a few feet of each other while in the library and none of the voices that were captured were audible to our group at the time that they were recorded. Another evening during a Halloween ghost walk, we had a large group tour that ended in the main lobby of the Perry, and after hearing about the previous summer's ghostly accounts, my daughter and I paid a visit to the library, while still dressed as ghouls in the spirit of the holiday. We were really just hoping for even the slightest signs of Doris or of the macabre. As I walked around the table, directly in front of the once broken window where Doris likes to sit, I stumbled on an ornate and quite large piece of laced fabric 
It literally just appeared mid-step, caused me again to almost fall. I asked my daughter where it came from, not really expecting any type of rational answer. It just came out of nowhere, she confirmed. One year later, again in the lobby of the Perry, after a Halloween ghost walk, the resident ghost expert at the Perry began to tell the story of a guest that was walking around the same table and how this person had also stumbled right in the same location I had the previous year. In this case, a woman, after stumbling on an unseen object, pulled back the soaking wet rug to reveal a book that was not only, for whatever reason, shoved underneath the wet rug, but was itself somehow completely dry. After calming the guest, the book was placed on the mantle over the fireplace by the employee who was very much aware of the past activity in the room. A declaration was made aloud that if this book belonged to Doris, she should come claim it. The room was then closed for the evening, and the next morning, to no one's surprise, the book was gone. Someone pulling a prank on the staff? Maybe. Except, one evening months later, the bar staff in the noggin room were cleaning after their shifts. One of the last tasks is to routinely remove the spouts on the beer taps and soak them in a pitcher of club soda to remove the oxidants. After doing so that evening, the bar was locked and the crew were leaving via the side stairway entrance when they heard a loud splashing noise from inside the bar, just feet away from them. The unarmed alarm system turned on the lights and to their amazement found the same book titled, You Can Live Forever in Paradise on Earth that had gone missing from the library during the previous unexplained event months prior, stuffed into the pitcher of the club soda that contained the beer spouts. Now by all accounts from those present, the book was completely folded in half from the force that had immersed it, yet there was no sign of displaced water from the pitcher to be found anywhere on the table or the floor area underneath it. A photo was taken at the time, which I have a copy of, and it's one of my favorite photos of the paranormal oddities that occur in the noggin room. The crew happily exited the building after this incident, and the next morning when they opened the bar, once again the book was gone. The noggin room was one of the more active spaces in the old hotel. Rumored to have once been a speakeasy during Prohibition, workers over the last century have often stated that they never feel alone in the bar. If you happen to be one of the several people that have experienced random objects flying at you through the air while you were either working or enjoying an adult beverage, it would be understandable for you to believe that something strange is definitely going on in the old noggin room bar. One evening in the far back lounge section of the bar, there were only two tables that were occupied when a glass mug suddenly came flying through the air, smashing into pieces on the cement floor. The patrons looked at each other in astonishment while the pissed-off waitress came over to see what the commotion was. Both tables corroborated that it was neither their party or the group at the adjacent table that had thrown the glass mug. The waitress was clearly agitated as she began to clean up the broken shards of glass when yet another glass came smashing to the floor, vindicating the patrons in the establishment that evening of any wrongdoing, but also serving as enough proof for her that something clearly was amiss with the situation. Another related incident has a longtime employee of the hotel standing alone in the bar when a fork, bent in half, catapulted itself through the air 
and landed at his feet in the middle of the lounge. After examining the picture myself that was taken of the fork, there were no stress marks or fracture marks to the plated base metal utensil that could be seen at the place where it was folded. As a metallurgist, this seems impossible to me, even without the aspect of self-propulsion. One afternoon, while in my store in downtown Petoskey, a lady that has worked in the hotel over a long period of time came in to tell me about her personal experiences in the building. One evening, the Perry Hotel hosted a party for employees only. She only promised to tell me the story off the record. Apparently, she had arranged to have a room on the second floor, a two-room suite, so it was more appropriate for her to meet her blind date that she had arranged for the evening. As they prepared to go downstairs, she had made a habit of wearing her grandmother's very ornate beaded necklace to special occasions, which she had on that evening. Just about the time they descended the stairs to go down to the party, she stood up, the male friend of hers stood up also, and the necklace continued to rise until it levitated almost parallel to the ground, pulled taut, and then the beads exploded all across the whole floor. Both of them looked at each other with a quite surprised look on their face. The gentleman said it was very nice to meet her and he'd be more than happy to take her to a different event, but he was absolutely not staying in the hotel for this particular dance. When she called maintenance to come up and help her collect the beads, they didn't even have to be told which room she was in. It's one of the rooms that are adjacent to the library. I always love when employees come in and promise to tell stories only if they're off the record. Seems as there's a little bit more validity to the stories. Although that was one of her more memorable experiences in the hotel, she had been employed there since she was a younger girl and had many stories of being tripped and or tickled while going up the stairs, and especially when she was cleaning rooms as a housekeeper. It seems the staff, including late night workers and the maintenance crew and also the maids tend to get the brunt of most of these stories. At least once a year I host a group of women from South Lyon that come up to hear more tales of Northern Michigan. We always do the presentation in the Perry and this last year we talked about Ernest Hemingway. Somehow at the end of the conversation we got off on a little bit of the uh, paranormal activity that happens in the building. They looked at me very skeptical, which is not an uncommon response. Three days later, I ran into one of the women while playing trivia in the noggin room. She immediately came over, excited to share her experience of what had happened to her in the hotel the night prior. Apparently, she had spent the afternoon painting outside of the Perry Hotel, as the day was beautiful. She transferred her paintings to her room, and around 11.30, fell asleep. About 1 o'clock in the morning, she was awoken by the sound of her paintings flying off of the table and smashing against the wall on the opposite side of the room. As she tried to calm herself and get back to sleep, she remembered clearly seeing shadow figures dancing across the ceiling. Now I should say that even though I live downtown Petoskey, I quite often make it a habit myself to go and spend nights at the Perry Hotel. Prior to moving to Petoskey in 2008, I would often make trips up also to stay at the Perry Hotel. One evening my girlfriend at the time and I were staying, and at about 12 o'clock we ordered a couple cocktails and went up to the library to see if we could find any activity or signs of Doris. As we sat sipping our drinks, watching the room very carefully for any sign of something out of the ordinary, we were somewhat disappointed that nothing out of the ordinary had happened to us. No experiences of Doris or levitating objects that you would expect in an old hotel that was supposedly haunted. We returned to our rooms and had a very comfortable night of sleep. The next morning as we were preparing to check out, 
we searched the room in vain for the second key that was assigned to us as we checked in. Now back then they had these brass keys and if you lost one of them, they would charge you $25 as a replacement fee. We searched for the key for almost an hour until ultimately we had to check out of the hotel or pay for another night's stay. Now I had my key in my pocket and I was quite certain I had not lost a second key. But let's just say it was a long, quiet ride home that afternoon as we returned to Lansing. Three days later, we were finally unpacking the car. If you've ever visited Petoskey, Michigan in October, you know you should bring clothes that are both appropriate for foul weather or maybe even a late Indian summer's day. So my girlfriend at the time, who was known to overpack anyways, had brought up multiple suitcases. In the trunk of the car was one suitcase that had never made it into the Perry Hotel. And as she was unpacking, she came across a pair of pants that had never been out of the suitcase that had never been out of the trunk of the car. She noticed something in the back pocket, and when she reached in, she found the key that we had been looking for for days. I called the Perry Hotel and told them I thought I should probably get a refund on the key, as I thought that having Doris steal the keys in order to make money was not quite appropriate. Hey, we're just getting started with the stories about the Perry Hotel. I've been your host, Christopher Struble, and for more information, please find us on Facebook at Ghost of Northern Michigan's Past. And I invite you to join us next time as we talk more about Petoskey's historic Perry Hotel and the Ghost of Northern Michigan's Past.